Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, we are now a week away from the 48th Annual Daytime Emmy Awards, and I'm getting pretty excited about it. Now, I know it's not what we're used to. I mean, I cannot say enough about how much fun you and I had there in person over the years, but I'm always so curious to see how the voting goes, and with so many new faces in the mix this year, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Also, General Hospital has so many nominees. You know, will they split the vote? Is that even a thing? Will that leave room for the other actors in their categories? Who will win Best Writing without days in the mix? What will people be wearing from their homes? Will we even see them? Um, you know, we know that the shows have pre-taped their drama series acceptance speeches, but I haven't heard much about what they're doing with the talent. You know, time will tell. Uh, in our issue on sale today, we have interviews with every nominee, and it was especially great to talk to the first-timers, I thought. Yes, you know, you never forget your first, and there is something so sweet and so special that you hear in the voices of first-time nominees. From General Hospital, that list includes a lot of younger talents like uh, Sydney Michaela, Taj Below, Brianna Nicole Henry, and also Brianna Lane, who is up for guest star for her pinch hitting as Brooke Lynn. Uh, Sydney Michaela actually found out about her nomination the day of her senior prom, which surely made a memorable day even more memorable. And one of uh, the things that Brianna Lane told me that I thought was really fun is that she's good friends with Jennifer Landon who won three Emmys for her work as Gwen on As the World Turns, and Jen helped her choose what to put on her reel. I mean, if you're looking for expert advice, I think someone with three wins under their belt is a pretty great resource to consult with. Uh, I also really enjoyed hearing from people about what their thought process is when it comes to what category to submit in. It's not, it's not always clear cut. You know, oftentimes people are doing the math on a case-by-case -case basis, thinking about the year they had, and there are questions about, you know, uh, does seniority count or should it only be based on how much storyline a person had in a given year? Dominic Sampronia, who has been nominated many times in supporting as Dante on GH, got his first nomination in lead on his first try in the category. And he said he was truly surprised because he just didn't know if people would see his name on the list and go, buddy, you're not a lead yet. <laughs> 
As if. Um, you know, Wally Kurth is also celebrating his first time in lead as Days is Justin, which is really exciting. You know, he admitted to me that he was bummed that so much of his stuff actually never aired in Los Angeles because he kept getting preempted for the county health updates during the COVID lockdown, which, you know, truly is a bummer. There were some incredible scenes that he did when Adrian died, when we saw the flashbacks of how it all played out. There was just a lot there for him. I also spoke to George Del Hoyo, who plays Days' Orpheus and is nominated in the guest category. And he told me that he only submitted himself at the urging of Stephen Nichols, who plays Steve, and is a close friend of his. Now, I've never spoken to George in all the years I've covered Days, so that was really fun. And I have to laugh at myself that I still marvel when people are so different from their characters. Because let me tell you, he was a complete 180 from his dastardly alter ego. Um, he joked to me that he asked his wife if it was too much to put a red carpet in the house, which made me chuckle. Um, and, you know, I feel generally it's just such a nice time before the awards when everyone's happy and a nominee and hearing the genuine excitement about the process and the anticipation about the show itself is just, you know, it's always a very special time of the year. Agreed. Uh, I am so jealous that you got to talk to Orpheus, by the way. Uh, one of the conversations I had that really stuck with me was the one that I had with Jeannie Francis, who uh, plays Laura on GH, if you didn't know. Haha. Uh, some people sort of downplay what a win would mean to them, or, or maybe not downplay, you know, but just don't have a lot of feeling attached to the idea of a win. But she was very honest and said that it would mean a lot to her to win especially in the category of lead actress. Uh, she said that this year she was pretty hands-off when it came to putting her reel together because she used to get so wrapped up in the process and would often wind up disappointed. Likewise, when I talked to Maurice Bernard, Sonny on GH, he talked about how he used to get so worked up and so crazy about the Emmys. He felt such a drive to win and it was like semi-consuming to him. And now he just has such a different perspective on it and takes it all much more in stride, if you will. And he joked that he just doesn't want Steve Burton to win because it would mean that Steve has more Emmys than him. See, that's the kind of stuff I love. I mean, we know he's kidding, but that's just a fun little inside look at their relationship, and it totally delights me. Um, well, our guest today is a first-time nominee. He is in the supporting actor category after a wild run as GHS Cyrus. It's Jeff Kober, who I know we're both very excited to talk to. So let's check in with him and see how things are going now that his time in Port Charles has wrapped. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Stephanie. How you doing? Never better, thanks. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Hi, Mara. Very excited that we have you today to chat with. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Well, we're going to start that you grew up on a farm outside of Billings, Montana. You spent your childhood milking cows and riding motorcycles, as you put it to digest. <laughs> then when you were in college, you fell in love with a girl who wanted to be an actress and followed her out to L.A. That is the shortest version I've ever heard, but it's, it's there was a lot of adventure in between those, those things. But yes, in a nutshell. <laughs> well, how did your family feel about you moving? Oh, they didn't, you know, okay. Uh, there, there was a farm family in Montana. We were, they were uh, descended from German peasants. They didn't care. They just, they knew I was a screw up. And it was like, okay, okay, whatever. That's really kind of what it was. <laughs> so once you got to LA, the relationship ended. And though you never really nursed aspirations to be an actor, you started to take acting classes, which were recommended by a friend. So looking back, why do you think it clicked for you that 
Like this is what you were meant to be doing. So I, I, I joined a band uh, because my neighbor wanted to start one and he asked if I could play an instrument and I said, I can fake the bass. So uh, Jerry Giddens and my girlfriend, Jan Swap and myself, we all went to North Louisiana to rehearse this band um, for various reasons, mostly because we had no money and we could have a rehearsal space there for free. <laughs> and we came back to Los Angeles and the band, you know, we played, we opened for Tim Harden one night. That was good. Uh, walking wounded we were and uh, we, we played about three shows and then we broke up and my relationship <laughs> broke up and I got a job in a an office I was it was my first last and only office job I was a temporary paralegal for the Getty Oil Company and it, it, it was I was so depressed and so in despair and just every I was lost and I remembered that classes made sense when I was in college I would go to a class and life sort of made sense because you had a beginning and middle and an end so I said you know I just I need to go to a class and one of the women I was working with said I go to this acting class you should come and I went and and I, I don't I didn't mention I was an emotional mess at this time. And here were people taking their emotional mess and putting it on stage and getting applauded for it. And I, I'm home. <laughs> this is fantastic. Well, that sounds it. Now, you actually earned your Screen Actors Guild card by doing a few days of work on Days and Young and the Restless. So what do you remember about being on the sets of those shows? I, I remember... Uh, I remember being excited to work. I remember being uh, amazed at how much, because uh, in those days you shot an entire episode beginning to end. Um, and the episodes were longer than they are today. And these people were working their butts off. And I remember that. And I remember one actor uh, who said, oh, you, you, you don't belong here. You belong somewhere else. You, you belong on, on nighttime TV. And, you know, and, and at that time, that was a, I took that as a tremendous compliment. I, I, I'm not sure it was anymore because <laughs> this is some of the hardest work I've ever done on General Hospital. It is, oh my God, it, it's hard work and extraordinarily rewarding, but really challenging. Well, after uh, your brief appearances on Days and YNR, uh, you booked an arc on Highway to Heaven, and mm. then you appeared on Falcon Crest as Guy Stafford, who was the love interest for uh, Kit, who was played by Kim Novak. Tell us about your Falcon Crest experience, which I don't think you considered to be a career high. Um, I, it was uh, it, Falcon. I, I remember talking to a director at one point and saying, this is the same scene that we did in the last episode. It's just different words. He said, Yes, yes, a lot of it is like that. We just have to muddle on through till we get to one that matters. And uh, so that was the kind of acting it was. And uh, Brett Cullen was on there with me. And I had done my first movie uh, with his, it, 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 it became his wife, Michelle Little. Um, but at the time they were broken up. So every night we would go out after work and I would try to talk about baseball or cattle or anything and he would bemoan his loss of michelle um so that's i remember that a lot with falcon crest uh, we were on uh, we were on location uh, somewhere um and i also uh, john saxon uh we couldn't get a shot to work where he was supposed to hit me so he actually hit me and then the shot worked <laughs> that's a highlight and kim i kissed kim novak 
shocking. It. It's like <laughs> Tim Novak. Yeah. Very few men can actually say that, I think. <laughs> At least men that are still alive. <laughs> well, we could get it. well, a few years later, you landed a series regular role on the critically acclaimed ABC drama China Beach, playing the role mm -hmm. of Dodger Winslow from 1988 to 91. So what was that like on a personal level to go from you know, relative obscurity to suddenly being part of one of the biggest shows on television? You know, this was the before the internet, so it wasn't that big a deal in terms of being recognized and all of that. Um, that show mattered so much to everyone who was involved in it because it was really a part of the whole, our whole culture, bringing into consciousness the fact that we had been in this war and that a lot of people suffered from being in this war and, and that they hadn't been welcomed back very, very well. And so we were a part of that whole uh, culture of uh, of getting real with you know what we had put uh, the women and men uh, through, and uh, so and, and we had lots of uh, veterans and USO donut dollies and nurses who came on the show as as uh, uh, technical advisors. And uh, Bill Broyles was our. Uh, you know, he was uh, one of the co-creators along with John Sacret Young, who just passed um, last week. Uh, and uh, Bill was a, a combat Marine himself. So it was, you know, it was a show that was so important for each of us to do that we weren't concerned about being actors. We were concerned about being as real as we could possibly be. And it was unique in that, in that, in that way for me and, and for everyone else who was involved in it. Well, essentially, Jeff, your resume of primetime work is insane. You know, you have been on MacGyver, The X-Files, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, NYPD Blue, ER, Supernatural, Lost, and that is like just a random smattering. It's the tip of the iceberg. So and Criminal I, Minds, which I just oh, saw them on. And Criminal Minds. Yes, Criminal Minds. <laughs> so, you know, overall, like, which type of job experience do you prefer? The more like one-off type of episodic appearances or being a regular on a show with a longer run? Being a regular, you get to, uh, you know, the limited experience I've had with it is you get to build a character and really uh, flesh it out in ways that you're not able to on a one-off. So that's, that's the preferred way of working. Um, the, the, but the uh, doing one-offs really prepared me for the general hospital gig because uh, doing a, you know, you do like one day and you, they put all of your stuff on one day and you come in and you're coming into a family that's already fully formed. And all these people know their place. They know their, you know, uh, who's, who's the big dog and who's not. And you've got to come in and just without knowing if anyone is approving of you or not, you just got to throw down. This is, this is what you hired me to do. And, you know, and if, if it, if, if they don't like it, you assume someone will tell you and usually they don't. Um, so it, it's, it's really a, it's a challenge uh, and it's a, a, a challenge in just giving yourself uh, permission and acting is so much about permission and, and the freedom to just allow something to happen rather than pretend something. Um, so that the last several years has been a lot of that, and I've I've learned a lot from that, mm -hmm. well, which prepared me for which prepared me for the the general hospital gig. Mm -hmm. 
So. Uh, we also had a memorable multi-season run on Sons of Anarchy playing Jacob Hale Jr. Um, what was your experience like on that show? And it's such a cult show. I mean, you must be recognized from it as well. A lot, yeah. Um, and it, it's odd because everyone on the show other than me was a biker. Um, and they had long hair and a beard and I was like Mr. Clean Cut. So now I kind of look like them. And uh, but I'm still recognized from it. And it, it was it's it, people were just crazy about that show. They loved that show. Um, it was very uh, it was very male. There was a lot of male energy on that show. Um, so I would just come in, tiptoe through my scenes and then get out. <laughs> well, you also played uh, the villainous Joe on The Walking Dead, another show with a cult following. And you've said that that was a highlight of your career. For, for you, what made it so? What was that experience like? Well, that one, they wrote it so well. And, and you know, this was a character that lasted for half a season, but they wrote it as if it mattered, as if the guy mattered. So there was so much rich uh, texture in the role. And um, they had my character, they used him to uh, really illustrate something about uh, Daryl and something about Rick, you know? And so I got to have a lot of screen time and it was really fun work. And you got to ask yourself this question, like if it were the end of the world and the zombie apocalypse, let's just, let's just say that that's a, a thing and, and you're in it. What are you willing to do to stay alive? And what a great question to ask and then get to live that out. And that, that show was really uh, had a lot of integrity and uh, I, I, I really enjoyed doing it. And then I, you know, and uh, the, the actors on it were just uh, beyond in terms of their commitment to their craft and their willingness to show up. And, and I, I respond to that uh, really well. I really love it when, when people are, you know, it, it, I've done a couple of shows where people were uh, like kind of unhappy that they were employed. You know, there, there's a thing, how, how do you make an actor unhappy or give him a job? Um, <laughs> you know, actors are unhappy when they're unemployed, then they're unhappy when they have a job. And, and I'm just, I, I get on a set and I love it. And so I really respond a lot to uh, other actors who are the same way. Now, prior to landing GH, you obviously, as we mentioned, have appeared on so many different shows. Is there one or a few that you were most recognized for most often? Uh, Sons of Anarchy, um, uh, Walking Dead, uh, China Beach, um, uh, Highway to Heaven, uh, and oh, there was a movie, uh, uh, The First Power, where I basically played uh, Richard Ramirez as Satan, um, and uh, I guess those are the ones, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's... Fast forward a bit to 2019, when you get word that GH is interested in hiring you on as its new heavy, Cyrus Renault. So did you audition or was it just offered to you? I, you know, my, my manager called me and said, you know, I was just uh, asking about work. She said, well, there's this thing. I, I don't know if you'd be interested or not. What? And, and she told me what it was and I said, well, it's not like I'm doing anything else right now. Let's, you know, yeah, put my name in the mix, you know, and, and then they offered it to me. So 
It was just, it was, and God, it turned out to be a blessing on, on so many levels. So just, just being employed during the pandemic, you know, we were the, we, we, I worked for about three months, I think. And then, uh, then we shut down. Um, and we were, I think the, it was for four months, but I think we were the second show to come back. So we were really kind of, uh, pioneering, how do you, how do you do this? Uh, you know, coming out of the pandemic and that was interesting. And, and it was just, and then I was, I was employed and it was like a three month job that turned into, you know, a year and a half. So that's not a bad thing. Right. Well, what did you think when you felt that shift turning where it wasn't three months anymore? Now it was, you know, Cyrus was really being, you know, worked into the canvas and it became a longer run. Well, it, it was, uh, it, you know, it gave me permission to just go further with what I was doing and to just have more fun. Um, the one thing I committed to when I took the job was I am never going to phone this in. I'm just, I'm not going to like, just do the words. If I find myself just doing the words, I, I told a friend, just shoot me, you know, because it, that's, it's like, that's, that's, that means, that means it's time to hang up your Spurs, I guess, is what we would hang up in Montana. But um, hang up your saddle. I hang up. Just stop acting. You know, if it ever turns into that. And so, and they just, they gave me permission to just, you know, do whatever came out. And that's, and so I just kept going further in that direction. And 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 Frank actually, at one time, we were doing some job, and I mean, one one scene, and and he was watching, and uh, Frank Valentini, and he said. Uh, we did it one time, and and usually that's all you do it. And they said we were going to do it again. He said, "Jeff, don't be afraid to go big." And I went, <laughs> "Okay," and and I did, and it was like it was, it, it was it was so much fun. It was like doing theater without rehearsal. <laughs> well, speaking of permission, uh, Cyrus is one of many so-called bad guys that you've played in your career, and mm. this question comes from Johnny Wachter, who somewhat reluctantly became Cyrus's bodyguard. He wants to know, when playing a character so opposite from your true self, how do you give yourself permission to explore that character and portray him without your own judgment interfering in that exploration and portrayal? Well, it, it's, he's not that far away from me. It's just he he's he made different choices with similar life experiences. That's really, you know, I, I a lot a lot of the things when I was studying to be a serial killer in the first power, I looked up the life experiences of serial killers and I shared a lot of them. It was kind of frightening. But you know, clearly <laughs> they had something loose that I didn't have loose. And so I took it a different direction. And if you've lived or if you are living an examined life, you know, any human is capable of anything at any time. It just depends on what your priorities are, what you care about, and, and whether or not your life feels threatened. And, you know, and so you set up the, the parameters so that you do what is in the script for you to do. And, and then you, you know, like you can't, turn yourself into a sociopath, but you can ignore uh, the fact that other people are going to be hurt by your, your actions. Mm -hmm. So ignorance, ignorance is one of the, is one of the key ingredients there. 
<laughs> but ignorance implies that you know it, but you're choosing not to know it. You're choosing not to pay attention to it. Well, Mara reached out to your poor Charles brother and real life pal of many years, Michael E. Knight, and asked him <laughs> if he had any questions for you. So oh. first of all, he called her back immediately and said that he misses you already, that getting to work with you was a dream come true, and talked about all the incredible work that he's seen you do in primetime. And his question, and our question, is what was it like for you to make that transition from working in prime time to what some might say the absurdly fast-paced production model of daytime? It is absurdly fast-paced. And you don't have, the biggest difference is you don't have a chance to fix anything or to mold a performance. You, it's, you, you, you wind yourself up and throw yourself into the mix and it comes out and you move on. And, uh, I, you know, I think, three times over a year and a half, I asked uh, if I could do it again, because I knew I had missed a moment or, or, you know, really overshot the mark or under undersold something. Um, and that's, you know, in, in, in primetime, you do like, you know, eight or 10 pages a day, we were doing 120 pages a day. I there was one day I did 38 pages of dialogue. It's just absurd. It's just bizarre. The first night I went to work, uh, the first day I went to work, I was uh, I was sitting and and uh, we went through one scene and then they said, OK, moving on. Then we went through another scene. And they said, moving on. And then we did the third scene and they said, OK, moving. And I just said, this is blank and ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't realize I was miked and the whole crew just cracked up because they were waiting for me to notice um, how weird it was. And it was it was weird right from the very start. So that's the biggest difference. And and you don't and you know uh, also on on prime time. It, there's a there's not that depending on the show because a lot of prime time there's not a lot of rehearsal and there's not a lot of uh, commitment to the craft. There is some places, but it it seems to be less and less as we've as we've gone forward, and more and more just about you know telling a story as fast as we can, and you know really moving it on, and and so that's there's not that big a difference unless you want there to be because like you can get away in a soap with um, you know just making a mood and you know being angry or being hurt, but. Most of the, the, the people I worked with weren't doing that. And I certainly wasn't doing that. So. Do you have friends who are also actors who have never done daytime? And have you tried to explain to them what it really was like every day at work? Yeah, they, they were like, <laughs> they don't want anything to do with it. But <laughs> it's, it's, but you know, I've done, this has happened twice uh, where I filled in uh I've I've had like four days to learn a, a the lead in a play and then fill in, um, and go on stage with just learning the words that you know that week, and uh, it's bloody horrifying, but there's nothing like the high of doing that and just sort of flying by the seat of your pants. There's this fantastic thing that happens when we humans go beyond what we think it is possible for us is that we find out that it's not impossible for us we when we step into the unknown without without a chance to hold onto the guardrails we find what we're really capable of 
And that is, there's nothing more uplifting than that for the, for the human spirit. So, uh, you know, acting really has that, uh, that aspect available to us at, at any time, really, you can, you know, you always want to step into the unknown, whether you've done the scene already or not, whether you know the best way of doing it or not, you've got to forget all that and do it brand new and fresh and, and, you know, trust in something other than, you know, your, your fear and your control. And, and General Hospital just really gave me that opportunity. Um, and not everyone wants that opportunity. <laughs> well, uh, Cyrus was originally introduced as an antagonist for Sonny, as, you know, the latest mob challenger to his mm. supremacy in Fort Charles. But what stands out to you about uh, sharing uh, the stage with his portrayer, Maurice Bernard, first of all? What what was it like to to work with him or to meet yeah. meet him? It was it was you know it was it was a it was disconcerting because he is a hard case man, and and he was just he was in character and he was just so contained and so slick and so put together, and and it was you know and, and so it was just it was like uh, I didn't know I I was dealing with uh, I was dealing with Sonny, you know and so I just dealt with Sonny. And then, you know, after I'd been there a little while, he, he softened up and I got to see who he was and we had a great time. But, you know, he was, uh, he just, he, he brooked no quarter. Is that the word? He, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't give me a free pass. Let's put it that way. And then what about working with uh, his right-hand man on the show, Steve Burton? Steve is, he is such a sweet guy. He's, and he, he loves his work and, and he he also another thing working with Steve and uh, Laura uh, uh, his his I don't know are they love interest now Sonny's wife um, uh, she said oh you're working with Steve well you better be ready to talk because you know Steve you like go I go on for a page and a half and he says not today <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, now, it was revealed early on that Cyrus had quite the notorious history with the character of Jordan, played by Brown and Nicole Henry, which proved to be a through line in your story on the show. So tell us about working with Brianna. Oh, man, she's, she's, a, she's the bomb. We had so much fun together, and she was so prepared and uh, just was not afraid at all to get in my face and, and uh, you know, really engage. And, and so it was the people that I worked with regularly, they were like that. They just, they stepped in and she was one of them, you know, and she's stunningly beautiful and tremendously talented and, and, uh, and really personable. I, you know, and I, I sound like I'm making all this up, but actually she's just a delightful human being. And I was, I was so sorry when they let her get out from under Cyrus's thumb. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, Cyrus had clashes with, uh, with Laura, the beloved mayor of Port Charles, played by Jeannie Francis. And uh, from the start, he seemed to have a personal interest in her. And then in December of last year, it was revealed that Laura was actually his long-lost sister. And Jeannie told me recently that working with you made the work fun for her again, that after doing the work for so long, she sometimes loses that, and she found it again working with you. So now you tell us what you thought and felt about working with her. 
she's a legend, a, and uh, you know, and uh, I I felt the same way. There was we would get in scenes together. The last the last work that we did in the where Cyrus is really going down for the count. You know, the whole first couple of days of scenes uh, were with. Uh, Portia and, and her daughter and we were, she was fixing me up and then there was this exchange and then Laura comes in to be my hostage and we just looked at each other and we both started to well up because she's a complete empath and and she's courageous beyond and just willing to let herself be seen and willing to engage and there was one great moment um, I was uh, we were doing a scene in in her apartment and I had just come unannounced as Cyrus does and her, her son showed up and I was giving him an assignment, making him do something so that I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I was making him do something nefarious so I could get something accomplished. And, and she comes to me, she gets in my face and says, is this the kind of family you want? And, and my answer is, this is the kind of family I have. And, you know, we rehearsed it one time and I said, you know, that, that line, this is the kind of family we have. I have, I, I, I think it might get a little big. So she's, oh, that's okay. That, that'll help me with my next line. I was, and we got to that place in the scene and I, it just came out of me like a yell. I won't tell you what it was. And she literally leapt backwards three feet and landed in the arms of her son, the actor playing her son. It was because she had, it was, it was just, and she, but she loved that kind of stuff. And it's like, do you want to do that again? No, 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 I love it. And then she did the same thing. <laughs> she did the same thing to me in our last day of working together, where she let her anger come out. And she just, it was like, I jumped back. I, and, and she said, do you want to do that again? I said, no way, man. That was, that was perfect. She's, a, she's just powerful and talented and uh, just fantastic. Now, to this day, whenever I tell anyone what I do for a living, they more often than not watched General Hospital at some point, and they say, oh, are Luke and Laura still on? Now, did anyone say that to you? And you actually could say, I'm Laura's brother. I, I, I said, I, what I would say to people is, remember Luke and Laura? And they would go, oh, yeah. I said, she's the mayor, you know? <laughs> and, and yeah, not a, I, I don't, I didn't know that. I'm surprised actually by how many people watch General Hospital. There's yeah. really a lot of people watching it. You know, um, I've, I've talked to several professionals like, yeah, I was home a bit during the pandemic. I saw you. You were on. Oh, oh you know, I never watched this stuff, but you were on, you know, and just it's, it's like a, a guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. Or, or in our case, a not guilty pleasure. A not guilty pleasure. <laughs> it's certainly not a guilty pleasure for me. I couldn't be happier. Now, uh, another person that Cyrus had uh, some dealings with that, you know, didn't go as well for her uh, was Britt Westbourne, played by Kelly Tebod. She wanted us to tell you hello. And she also had this question for you. Mm. What is your morning ritual? Um, wow, okay. I get up, brush my teeth, shower, uh, pet the dog, uh, meditate and do yoga for about an hour. Um, then I, uh, I have some tea and breakfast and go for a walk. It's a solid morning. Yeah. 
Um, now, you touched a little on this, but we saw your final appearance on GH Air earlier this week when Cyrus was taken off to a federal pen in the Midwest, the most cruel of all soap opera fates. But <laughs> Cyrus's last grasp at freedom, uh, which saw him taking Portia and Trina and then Laura hostage, made for just the most incredible scenes. You did such a phenomenal job. Um, you all did. So tell us what you remember about filming them. It was, it was like a marathon of a you know about a week there it was just a marathon of uh a lot of work and a lot of intensity and blood there was blood um, <laughs> a lot of blood uh and uh just you know like when you're doing something like that there's uh you're really trying to hold the whole picture together in your mind so that you're uh so that you have an arc that makes sense and so that you uh end up where you had to end up i mean i was like i i didn't i didn't the writing was so good on this show that i it would take me to where i needed to be emotionally and it wasn't until on the day of this one uh set of scenes where i realized that um it's written and it's, but it's not really spelled out. So you could take it a number of different ways, but that Cyrus, um, he says he's not going to go back to prison and, uh, he's has to, he has to, I felt he had to work himself into a state where, uh, he's going to shoot Laura and then shoot himself. And, and her, you know, she's going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and, you know, you, you can't, you can't do that without it being without you being a wreck. Um, so I had to let myself be a wreck. Um, and uh, so I, re I remember that. And, uh, you know, and I remember um, Brooke was just so I, that was the first time we'd really every other scene we'd done up to that point was me stopping her and her going like, just rolling her eyes and I got to get away from Cyrus as quickly as possible. But this time I had her held hostage. So she had to be nice to me for a while. Um, and it was, it was, again, it was just, uh, there was like so much meat there and so much good interaction. Um, really enjoyed that a lot. And, uh, you know, and the, the crew was, uh, it, the crew was really like, it felt like everyone was working together to really make these scenes special and to, you know, to, uh, <laughs> to give Cyrus a good send off. Um, and I was very appreciative of that. When you do scenes that are that highly intense day after day, and you're presumably going home in between, you know, having to work yourself up to that state to pick up where you left off. What are those evenings like? Like, are you good company to your wife or are you in a dark headspace? What is that like for you? I suppose it used to be more of a dark headspace, but um, I, I, don't, I don't take myself that seriously anymore. Uh, and also it's, you know, again, like back, uh, harking back to Johnny's question, the, the, Okay, I'm going to wax philosophical here for a moment. Okay. You know, the truth of all of us is the same in all of us. And it's just the, it's the, it's the extra bits of us that uh, determine what flavor it is that comes out. I mean, the only thing we're ever doing is loving or hurting. And, uh, 
but if you're if you do the work to know yourself as something other than the outside of yourself then you can change that like changing a suit and and there is actually a thing that a a a chekhov michael chekhov teacher uh taught me about you literally put on a an imaginary suit in the morning and then you and it's you, you put it on and put the hood on and the mask and it's just you know you put on like an imaginary space suit that lets everything come out but nothing come in and so at the end of the day then you take that suit off and you leave it there and then it's just like you know you were just it's like when i did this uh there's a law and order svu that i did um Mariska Hargitay won the uh, 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 Emmy for for that episode, and I was playing a cult leader who had a twelve and a half year old wife and was responsible for the death of about twenty five kids. You know, just that kind of a guy. Yeah. And I just played it as a man of God. I didn't play it as a creepy guy who had a twelve year old wife. I was just a man of God, and I was doing what God told me to do. When it came on television, I couldn't watch it. It was so horrifying to me. But I hadn't been being that horrifying when I was doing it. I was just being a guy. Same thing here. You know, I've, this character was just broken and uh, needy. And I'm not, I was probably needy like that once, but I'm not now. So, but I still have access to that. But it doesn't really stick to me anymore because that's not, really me that's a really long answer to your question but um solid answer great answer now on a personal note what was your last day of uh filming like what was it like to leave gh that day well it was it was it was a what i thought was my last day i i we got done and i said goodbye and people applauded they came and gave me hugs and I was trying to leave and one of the producers came running out and said, no, 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 you have another day. And I said, well, that's awkward. And, uh, <laughs> so, it was kind of anticlimactic. When I came back again in two weeks, they, uh, Greg Harrison had been gone. And when he came back, uh, we had a, a scene together. And so I had to come back and do that. And so, I just left and they all went, yeah, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. Well, uh, Cyrus didn't die. Uh, no. So there's always a possibility that he could come back to Port Charles down the line. And is that something that you would be open to? I actually suggested to Frank that uh, uh, Cyrus should get religion in the penitentiary and come back as an itinerant preacher, you know, like an evan evangelist. Mm -hmm. He didn't think that was a good idea. Um, <laughs> a great yeah, idea. of course, uh, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm open to that idea. It was, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to work on that show. And, um, you know, acting is a thing that I, I have many other interests in my life and I'm busy all the time, whether I'm acting or not. And I continually come to the point where, I say, well, I've, you know, I've, I've done good work. I've had a good career. I don't need to act anymore. Um, and then I get a job and uh, I get on the set and it just, it, it turns me on in a way that nothing else does. And it, it excites me. And, and the way they wrote for this character. Uh, yeah. I'd be open to doing, doing it again, doing it some more, doing chapter two. Yeah. 
Well, your performances on GH have drawn rave reviews from fans from Soap Opera Digest. And as we speak to you, you are in the running for a Daytime Emmy as Outstanding Supporting Actor. So first of all, congratulations. It is well-deserved. And what does earning that nomination mean to you? You know, it, it means, uh, it, it, I guess it, it means that uh, my, my theories of, of acting are, are, are worthwhile. It means that, uh, you know, what I did left a mark. Um, it, it means, um, you know, because I, because again, I, I committed myself to just not worrying about how it was going to be seen, but only worrying about, and not worrying, but only being concerned about, only being concerned about if I'm engaged or not, if I'm present or not, if I'm letting myself be full and free or not. And the fact that that's then recognized uh, uh, to 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 be nominated is uh, is 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 really delightful. Well, as you mentioned, you're a busy and engaged man outside of your work as an actor. You are a uh, meditation teacher. You play guitar. You're a photographer. You're a dog dad. You dabble in writing. You're a grandfather. What gives you the most joy outside of showbiz? Uh, my dog, Bud Powell, the Labradoodle, right, buddy? Um, and uh, tintype photography, this really old, like, uh, Civil War era photography. Um, a lot of old curmudgeons around the country do this, and me. So I guess that puts me in good company. Um, it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, a those, those, two, yeah, photography and writing, I've, I'm trying to force myself to finish a couple of books. Um, so being off of GH right now is good for that. I've been doing that every day. Mm -hmm. So by way of asking what comes next for you, Jeff, we're going to have to once again give the floor to Johnny Wachter, who wants to know, having arguably the most luxurious hair on the show, mm. it's been rumored that your hair contains special powers, much like Samson's did. <laughs> Yet yours were for the power of evil for the role of Cyrus. As you venture into new roles, potentially good guys, will you be shedding the locks? You guys go on Instagram at all? There's, there's like, you can read anything you want to read about yourself there. Like, <laughs> God, that hair, I hate it. Or, oh man, I love his hair. Thank God he's gone. Oh, we're going to miss him. You know, I just, the whole spectrum. I, you know, <clears throat> I, this, is, this is pandemic hair. Um, I never, I never planned on this happening. Uh, it's longer than, it's longer. I was in the carnival in 1974. My hair was long then. This is longer. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think that this hair can be used for good as well as evil. <laughs> what did you do in the carnival? I, I, I sold corn dogs. I was in the, the Donnie Love traveling concession show. Um, we we did the uh, the the Mardi Gras and the Fort Worth Stock Show and the Jackson Mississippi Stock Show. It was the Southern Circuit, the the Winter Circuit, you know. Yeah, yeah. I certainly hope one of the books you're working on is a memoir. Because sign me up. I would like to pre-order that right now. Fantastic! I'll I'll get you a copy. <laughs> <laughs> so as you look back on uh, on the GH run and your time on the show, what do you think you will take away from the experience? Uh, you know, the human connections are the things that you, you really 
take away from something. That's it. Whenever we think about a time in our life, we think about the people that we were there with, you know, and we think about the people uh, who we witnessed and who witnessed us. And that's what you that's what you take away those moments where you have a real connection with somebody where you have a real moment of of uh, mutual respect and love with somebody um, where you uh, bring more than someone was expecting or someone else brings more than you were expecting. Those are the moments that stand out and the moments that stay with you. That's what will stay with me. Now, is there anything you would like to say to the GH audience who has gone on this ride with you for the last year and a half? Thanks for watching and, and thanks for uh, hating me when you hated me and thanks for uh, being confused when you uh, felt sorry for me. And, um, uh, you know, just uh, thanks for letting me into the, into the family. Well, Jeff, we certainly hope to see you back soon, sooner rather than later. And we hope Cyrus's prison stint is quite short. <laughs> uh, in, in, in the real world, I think Cyrus would be away for a very long time, but who yeah. knows? Soaps. Yeah. In poor Charles' time, it could be a matter of minutes. Yeah. It could, I, could, I could be going back to work next week. Who knows? You could get a governor's pardon. You never know. Come on. Exactly. There's always a governor's pardon to be had on a soap opera. Oh my God. That's right. Just ask Sonny. Um, well, Jeff, truly, what a pleasure it's been to watch, you know, watch you on the show, to get to chat with you today and the previous times that we have. And uh, what I hear about you from everyone else on the show uh, is just clear how much you touch them and how much respect they have for you and how much they absolutely enjoy getting to play with you. Oh, that's fantastic. Thanks for saying so. Um, thank, thank you, guys. You. What a pleasure this has been. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Jeff Cobra for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.